So last week we started Choose Joy talking about godly optimism. And uh, we went through Romans 8. We found eight reasons to be optimistic. And I loved hearing from those of you who uh, took that outline, went deep with that, took a day, and each day uh, went into one of those reasons. If you uh, missed it, I invite you to go back and listen to that. If I had to sum it up in a quick minute, it would be that you find what you're looking for. You find what you're looking for. You can search for reasons to be negative and find them, or you can search for reasons to be optimistic and find those too. It's really about your perspective and what you look for. And if you search from a godly perspective, you're going to find that the glass is not half empty. In fact, the glass isn't even half full. The glass is overflowing in your life with the goodness of God and reasons to be optimistic about who he is and what he's doing in our lives. So you can live your life. Thank you for that one amen. Good morning, everybody. So you can find life apart from God. Or you can live your life loving God and living called. And if you live your life apart from God, you're going to find that everything is conspiring against you. But if you live your life loving God and living called, you're going to find that everything is working together for you because God is working together for you. So that was optimism. And today I want to talk to you from a perspective you may have not thought of before. I want to talk to you about the spiritual side of enthusiasm enthusiasm. There are those in life who go around and they let their environment, what's happening around them, the news of the day, the topic of the day, the emotion of the day, what's happening around them dictate the amount of enthusiasm or the spirit of their lives. And there are those who go around and they don't let it dictate it to them. They dictate to their environment. They influence their environment with the spirit of their lives and the enthusiasm in their life. And I'm so drawn to people like this. In school, I wanted to be friends with people like this. My favorite teachers were the ones who came in and they influenced the environment with their enthusiasm with their optimism, with their attitude. And this is why I love this church so much. Because as an adult, I try to surround myself with people who are enthusiastic, who they're optimistic. And in an environment, in a world that's negative, where people grow old and get grumpy, they don't let the environment dictate their level of enthusiasm or optimism. They influence their environment with enthusiasm and optimism. And it's not just because they're a happy person. It's because their enthusiasm is rooted where true enthusiasm is born. It came from a spiritual relationship with God. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want to show you something where the word enthusiasm actually comes from. It's rooted in two Greek words, en, theos, en means in, And theos is where we get the word theology, the study of God. Uh, So write this in. En theos means in God or filled with God. Write that in and any time from now on when you think of enthusiasm or enthusiastic, what you're saying is that this is born out of intimacy with God. Enthusiasm is not just a mood. True enthusiasm is born out of a spiritual relationship a close relationship with God. I just want to show you a couple sets of verses to set the tone for our study together today because, again, we're not coming from this choose joy, optimism, enthusiasm from a pop psychology standpoint. 
where it's all about our feelings. No, we're coming at it from who God is and what God says. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, but thank God. Why? Well, he gives you the reason. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't ever forget and lose the joy of your salvation that in Christ we have victory over sin and death. We don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. We have life in Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work how? Enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. We work for the Lord. And when we work for the Lord, he takes something that's mundane, seems useless, and turns it into something useful for the glory of God. Let me show you another verse, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, I love that. Whatever you do, your waiting tables, your stay-at-home parent, you're an owner or supervisor, you work in construction, you're sitting in a church service, if you're cleaning, if you're answering phones, you're leading your small group, you're checking kids in or you're teaching kids, you're greeting at the door or you're pastoring a church. Whatever you do, how do we work? We work at it with all our heart as working for the Lord, not, not for the boss, not for the man, not for the human supervisor, no, as working for the Lord. We need to understand that enthusiasm, it's not a product of our environment, it's a posture of our hearts. It's not a product of the environment, it's a posture of our hearts and lives. It's a posture that says, God is really my master and I work for him. So I'm going to be optimistic in a world that's rampant with negativity and I'm going to be enthusiastic in a world that's rampant with apathy. And just like the Apostle Paul, who in prison says, you think these chains are holding me back? You think these chains are a bad thing? They're actually putting me next to Roman guards and I'm here evangelizing and nobody knows that. I'm a secret agent for the glory of God and whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, no matter where you put me and what I'm doing, I'm doing it for the glory of God. So what I want to do with the rest of our study today is I want to look at the entheos of David. I want to look at the spiritual enthusiasm of a boy who grew to be a shepherd who became king. And I want to show you when he had enthusiasm and when he lost it. And just like David, if you've lost it, you can get it back again. And I call it the entheos of David. And my goal is to, to just have a pretty broad look at the major events of the life of David, just like we love biographies and uh, memoirs and autobiographies and biographical movies, and we love to get a broad picture of someone's life, their major events, their quotes, uh, and it, it influences, it's powerful, it influences our life, the things that they did, their successes, their failures, the meaningful things that they said. That's what we're going to do today, and we're going to see where David's enthusiasm came from. And I want to start with uh, the most well-known story of David's life is when he comes up against a giant named Goliath. And when we read it, I want you to look through the, the lens of enthusiasm. If you don't know the backstory, the people of God are up against the Philistine army. And 
uh, they have this secret weapon in this guy whose name is Goliath, and he's huge, he's a giant, and he's coming forward, and they're bringing this battle down to just a battle between who can beat Goliath, who can beat Goliath, and David isn't someone you would expect. Now, he's, he's had some victories, he's overcome a lion and a bear, he's, he, he knows what he's doing, he can get around a fight. But he's not who you would expect, okay? He's not who you think of. And he kind of has to talk them into even letting him fight Goliath. But watch the spiritual enthusiasm after he's kind of endorsed for this fight. When he comes forward and he's speaking to Goliath. And he said, it says, David said to this Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you how? In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Just a cute little kid's story today that we'll read through. (laughs) This is entheos. The enthusiasm. And it's not born out of human strength. He says, yes, you have human strength. As a human, you're, you're something to look at. And you've got a spear and jab. You've got a sword as big as me. But I don't come at you with human strength. I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty. How could he be so full of raw spiritual enthusiasm? Where did David's enthusiasm come from? I'm going to argue that it came from three things. And the first is that he trusted God every day. He trusted God daily. As a shepherd boy, when the lion or the bear comes to attack, what does he do? He charged after the lion, charged after the bear. God gave him victory And delivered the animal into his hands. And he says, I've been there before. And Goliath is going to be delivered into my hands. God's already been faithful. He says he did it once. He's going to do it again. And this is why he says one of his most famous statements, Psalm 27. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I hope that's true of us, of Rockbrook Church. That some people, yeah, they trust in their paycheck. Some trust in the government. Some trust in a person. Some trust in their possessions. Some trust in their weapons. Some trust in their ability. Some trust in what their human mind can comprehend and only what makes sense to them. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So he trusted God daily. Number two, he walked with God daily. That he says, I've been walking with God, and I just happen to believe that he's going to deliver the enemy into my hands. He trusted God daily. He walked with God daily. I mean, you think about, this is the guy who wrote the 23rd Psalm. I mean, amazing. This is not someone who reduced their spiritual life down to one hour a week. This is someone who was close with God. Let me just read the 23rd Psalm to you. I've only got the end of it in your notes and on the screen. But it says, the Lord 
is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is that? That's the overflow of a life lived close with God. He's walking with God daily, in fellowship with God daily. So he trusted God daily, he walked with God daily, and number three, he worshiped God daily. He worshiped. I mean, just all out with his life. When the Ark of the Covenant came into town, the presence of God, Scripture says that David worshiped God and danced with all his might. He was going crazy, so much so his wife said, you're humiliating yourself. He says, I don't care because the presence of God is here. And he just had so much enthusiasm about worshiping God, about the presence of God. Why did he have such enthusiasm? Because he trusted God daily and God came through for him. He walked with God daily and he knew God, so he worshiped God. In Psalm 145 too, he says, every day, every day I will praise you and extol your name forever. And many of you have spiritual enthusiasm like this. I long to have spiritual enthusiasm. I want this to be true of my life. Every day I try to make it a point to open my mouth and praise God. Thank you, God. Thank you. I sing to him. I pray to him. I praise his name every day. I'll do it forever and ever. Will we sing all the time in heaven? You know, some of the hymns and the, the kind of some of the stuff makes it sound like we're just going to be singing all the time. I don't think we'll sing all the time, but we'll sing every day. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Now, you know, because we've taught this, that worship is so much bigger than just music or singing, that it's uh, honoring God with your life, it's surrendering your life to God. But when we say that, I, I don't want us to dilute the power of music and singing because much of biblical worship is lifting your voice. And that when you're trusting God daily, when you're walking with God daily, it's going to overflow into love and devotion to God. It's gonna move you to lift your voice. It's going to move you to lift your hands. And when I lift my hands in worship, I'm doing two things. I'm surrendering to God and I'm celebrating my victory in God. It says lifted hands and surrender and victory. They seem like opposites, but when I surrender my life to God, when I have that situation, that circumstance, that conundrum, that tragedy, that thing in my life, when I surrender it to God, all of a sudden I have victory because God is victorious over that thing. And when you walk with God daily, you trust God daily, it's going to move you to worship. It's going to move you to lift your voice, to lift your hands. And if it doesn't, it's because you haven't walked with him and you haven't trusted him. And so we come in and we're worshiping him today. And the tragedy is 
This enthusiasm didn't last forever in David's life. He was very, very enthusiastic. I mean, this guy was spiritually charged. He was a live wire. But something faded in his life. And the spiritual fire started to cool. And I'm going to show you two different reasons, or two different seasons, rather, in his life. And then show you the good news at the end. Because there is so much hope uh, today for us. But we'll look at him as a kid and then as a king. So we're going to start with him as a, a young man or a kid. And I'm going to show you David running into battle. 1 Samuel 17 verse 48 says, As Goliath moved closer to attack, David what? He quickly ran. I'll show you why that's important later. But he quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. I love that. I don't have any spiritual reason for it or any enlightenment for you today. I'm just reading that this week. I was like, never noticed the stone sank in to the guy's head and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. I mean, just the enthusiasm that he quickly ran, just the confidence, just who are you to come against the people of God? Who are you to come against my God? Charge! <laughs> Today, everyone's going to know that God reigns over Israel. This is entheos. It's born out of closeness with God. Listen, getting close to Christ will make you a lot of things. It'll make you more patient, It'll make you more kind. It'll make you more loving. One thing it cannot make you is a wimp. Getting close to God will not turn you into a wimp. Getting close to God will not turn you into a coward. Some of the most manly men I know, like you don't mess with them. They've got strong convictions. They're bold. Why? It's because they're close to God. Some of the most amazing women I know, it's because they're close to God. They have amazing, deep convictions rooted in the Bible, rooted in God's word, rooted in who Christ is and who they are in Christ. And getting close to God, man, it'll make you quickly run into battle. It was when David neglected being close to God that he became a coward. You want to be a coward? Want to be a wimp? Don't get close to God. Because that's what it does. And he turned into a coward, and it led him into one of the most destructive points in his life. So we're going to fast forward. That was 1 Samuel 17. We're going to go all the way to 2 Samuel 11. And 1 and 2 Samuel are actually one book, but they were split up because of scroll length. So I'm just showing you that this is one uh, massive book, one massive story, and we're going all the way to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. Where it says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And if you don't know the rest of the story, he was sightseeing and he sees a naked woman, yeah, naked woman uh, taking a bath or a shower on a roof and he Send someone to go get her, and one thing leads to another. And when David wasn't where he was supposed to be, 
he saw something he wasn't supposed to see and he thought something he wasn't supposed to think. So he did something he wasn't supposed to do and he ended up losing something he was never supposed to lose. And when did it start? It started with apathy. You see, the line of your sin is never way up here of, am I going to have this affair with Bathsheba? No, the line of sin is way back here of where I put the battle at arm's length. I used to run quickly into battle, but now I sent somebody else. Send Joab. And I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm just apathetic and I'm more concerned with my comfort than I am my calling. And the line of sin isn't way up here right before the act. The line of sin is where you say, somebody else can serve God. Somebody else can get close to God. I'm going to stay back here. I want to show you the contrast of what's happening with enthusiasm. David ran into battle to serve his God. But with apathy, David walked on the roof to serve his comfort. With enthusiasm and confidence in God, David ran into battle to serve his God. But with apathy, David walked on the roof to serve his comfort. How did a man with so much enthusiasm lose it as a king? How did he lose his enthusiasm? He took his eyes off his calling and he put it on his comfort. He took his eyes off of eternal calling and he put it on temporary comfort. That when he should have been off at war, fulfilling his calling, doing what kings do, he says, I'm more concerned about my comfort. And the question I want to raise is this. Which of these two categories best represents you right now? Seriously, honestly. Do those of you who are Jesus followers say, I'm committed to following Jesus. I'm a Christian. Are you charging in to this spiritual battle with enthusiasm and theos filled with God? Standing against the enemy, enemy, recognizing you're under attack, lifting the name of Jesus, witnessing wherever you go, filled with his spirit, waking up today and say, I have divine purpose and divine calling and everything I do today is for the glory of God. And whatever I do, I'm going to work at it with all my heart, work at it enthusiastically, not for myself, not to serve my comfort, but for the glory of God. Or have you slipped into a place in life where it's more about you? Or I want what I want, and I'm going to be comfortable. And yes, I know I should be serving, but send Joab. Somebody else is going to have to serve. I'm going to walk on the roof of my palace. I'd rather be comfortable. I know I could be giving, but someone else is going to have to give. Send Joab to do it. I know I used to be very enthusiastic. I used to have a lot of hope and confidence. I used to serve a lot, used to give a lot, but now someone else is going to have to do it. I mean, I know somebody serves my kids every single week. I'm happy for them. But the thought of actually taking time to do something like that, send Joab. I know I could probably pray for some things that are pretty important, and I actually used to believe in the power of prayer, but now someone else is going to have to do it. Are you enthusiastic or are you apathetic? Are you full? Are you entheos? Or are you focused on 
your comfort. How does someone who attacks a giant in the name of the Lord God running out into the battlefield end up keeping the battle at arm's length and sending someone else? It used to be you couldn't keep him away from the battle. You couldn't stop him. You couldn't slow him down. Now he's sending someone else. He stopped focusing enthusiastically on his calling and he settled into living for his own comfort. And tragically, this is a very accurate picture of where a lot of people are today. How do we get the enthusiasm back? How do we get it back? How do we be more like David quickly running into battle with enthusiasm about who God is and what God's going to do? Well, the answer is in what Jesus says in Revelation 2, 4 through 5. He's talking to different churches and he comes to the church, at the Ephesus church, and he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And maybe you feel this way. Where you used to be enthusiastic with God, you used to be in love with God, and now not so much anymore. And it's just, now you're just comfortable with, Jesus saved me, blah, 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 I'm in, going to heaven, it's good enough. But he says, no, do three things. Don't forget your first love. Do these three things. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. You do three things. You consider or you remember where it was you were. You repent, meaning you're doing things that are taking you away from that love. You stop doing those. You turn around and you start doing the things that you did at first. That's really good marriage advice too. How do you get close and get the spark back like you had it had before? You remember what it was like. You stop doing the things that take you away from that. You start doing what you did before. And you, choices lead, feelings follow. You act your way into the feeling. Listen, you're not going to wake up one day and feel optimistic. Sorry, it's not coming. You're not going to just wake up one day and feel enthusiastic about all God is doing in the world and what he's doing in your life and what you could do. Choices lead, feelings follow. You have to remember repent, and then start doing it. And I wonder how many people here would actually say, yes, I was in theos at one time. I was filled with the Spirit of God and with purpose, and I did everything for God, but not so much right now. I've actually fallen away in a significant way. What do you do? Jesus says, start doing what you did before when you had that enthusiasm. Let me tell you what you did. You trusted God daily. You walked with God daily and you worshiped God daily and what did you see you saw God actively involved in your world and in your life you saw his goodness David came to a point where he recognized these things and he got his enthusiasm back but it just didn't come to him on his own in fact a guy named Nathan a prophet had to call him out on his sin and spark him back into enthusiasm and closeness with God. And when David recognized all that he'd lost, when he considered how far he'd fallen, David wrote this. He said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's a prayer of repentance. And he says, I want to do the things I did at first. David cries out to God and he says, God, create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Why are you so enthusiastic? Why are you enthusiastic? It's because Jesus has saved your soul. He says, restore to me that joy. And God is worthy of my whole life. Whatever I do, I do it as unto the Lord. I work enthusiastically, not for myself, but unto my God. Think about what a little entheos could do in your daily life. When you walk home and you influence the environment around you, you walk into that job and your enthusiasm influences your environment, not the environment dictating your amount of enthusiasm. Think about what that could do in a marriage, what that could do in a child, what that could do in a job. When you don't take them for granted, but you have a little enthusiasm toward them, you walk home and you say, you are the best thing that ever happened to me. I love you so much. And the first time they're going to fall on the floor or it's going to be really weird. But maybe after the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time, It starts to impact a relationship. When you go into a job and you say, you know what, I don't necessarily love this job, but God can even redeem the mundane things and I'm gonna work enthusiastically for the Lord. And when I come home, I'm gonna put my head on the pillow and say, I glorify God in what I did today. And when tragedy strikes in your life or a problem comes, you're not gonna do what you did before what you've been doing lately. You're going to trust God. You're going to walk with God. You're going to worship God. You're going to go on a fast. You're going to pray. You're going to dig into his word. You're going to go to church and you're going to say, I believe I'm going to encounter the presence of a living Savior, Jesus Christ today, and that he has a word for me that's going to impact my life and speak to me right where I am. And I'm going to be different today because I'm in the presence of God. Listen, if the Son of God died in our place, the only reasonable response is to give our whole lives back to glorifying him. That's why we work enthusiastically, not for ourselves, We do it for the Lord. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you have on your agenda, you work at it with all your heart for the glory of God. It's a posture of the heart. It comes from a life that says, I know who God is. It's not something I just work up on the inside. It's born out of closeness with God. Now, I know a lot of us are like David. We had the enthusiasm, but we lost it and we failed. But David got it back. And God still wanted to hear from David. And God could still use David. And there's hope for us today. So I want to pray about that now. Let's let's go to prayer. God, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit so we could influence those around us. God, increase the entheos, the enthusiasm, that we would be a witness of your goodness. 
God, I pray that as you reveal yourself to those who seek you, that we would simply do that, we would seek you. God, I pray that we would be a church full of Jesus followers who trust you every day, walk with you every day, and worship you every day. God, I pray that you would take what might seem a mundane job and bring meaning to it when we do it for your glory. God, I pray that households and families would be changed by someone who comes in with the joy of the Lord. God, I pray that you would take a life that has failed, that has lost the enthusiasm, that you would renew the joy of our salvation, that you'd grant us a willing spirit to sustain us in all that we do. And maybe you're in this room right now and you've never experienced the joy of salvation, the hope of eternal life, that you've never said, I I believe it. I believe Jesus is real. He lived a real sinless life. He died in my place on that cross because of my sin. And he is alive today. He rose from the dead. And you can start believing that right now. Just pray this in your heart and mind. God, I believe in you. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. That he is alive today. That my sins are forgiven. God, I want to be born again. Give me a new life. Give me this hope that they're talking about. The joy of salvation that they're talking about. God, you are so good to us. How could we not praise you? It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.